Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns, and this is the show where we share cutting-edge strategies on acquiring leads and sales for your business through traffic, perpetual traffic, Qasem Aslam. How are you, pal? I'm living the dream. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. I just thought of this. I'm the only one who actually pronounces your name correctly. It's not Qasem. It's Qasem, as in... No, uh, I've had people tell me how to pronounce my name, which is a fun experience. What's your name, Kasim? What is it, Kasim? How do you spell it? K-A-S-I-M. Oh, Kasim. No. How did you get there from the, the journey that you and I were on together? At what point did you hear those those phenomes? I don't yeah, get my fine. name mispronounced. Mispronounced? Mispr- you I can, don't hear. I, I can yeah, mispronounce my own pronounce. words. Yeah, I can't pronounce right. pronounce, but I get called Frank a lot. What? How? You just look like a Frank. I think this probably predates you, but there was Frank Burns from MASH. Yeah. Was, yeah, yeah. See, this is yeah. what I watched in college. MASH well, you were in diapers, I think. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> MASH is yeah. a potato. <laughs> anyway, there was Frank Burns. Frank Burns eats worms. So that's what kids in college, when they were trying to get on me, they called me Frank. It still happens every now and then. But Kasim is unacceptable to anyone and everyone listening. If somebody out there has the name Kasim, God bless you. We love you. We're not Kasim bashing you. But this is the way my mom and dad chose to say these collection of letters strung together this way. And That's right. That's yeah. Right. I, did, I sat next to a guy on a plane once that was irate. Yeah. That I didn't pronounce my name the way that people in his country pronounced the name. So. Oh, that's very regionalized. Uh, yeah. Too. I was like, hey, man, I'm American. I can butcher this however I want. That's what we do here. I'm American. <laughs> I live yeah, in Arizona we, there, we boy. Bastardized other people's culture. That's, that's right. Yeah. Forget about that. Yeah. Well, speaking about brilliant cultures like the American way of life, of course, do you have a brilliant nugget? That was a very bad transition, by the way. But do you have a brilliant nugget and for the PT listener? We don't have to be M. Night Shyamalan here. Like, they can see. Cheesy Uh, transitions are what we're all about here. I've got a great nugget. I just used it this morning. It's a chat GPT nugget, which, by the way, y'all, there's going to be a lot of these coming because I am obsessed. I've been neck deep in AI, and it's so much fun. I am the world authorities. Everybody knows. Here's what I did this morning. I had a database of contacts that I needed to separate. And normally, what I would have had to do is build a macros inside of Excel or Sheet. I think that's what they're called. The little formulas that say, hey, I've got the email address. Pull out the web address. Take the first name and last name and combine them. I need the phone numbers all in this format. It's probably an hour's worth of work to massage this database. I go to chat GPT. I copy and paste the database in. I'll read you the prompt. Can you please turn this into a table and include the domain name from the email address in a separate column, combine the first and last name so I have them in one column, and make all of the phone numbers consistent with this formatting. And then I gave it the 3-3-4 format. Hit enter and chat GPT created, and I don't know if people know that, I didn't know this until somebody tweeted it, but it created a database for me, a table. Copy that, paste it into Google Sheets, and it's a real hour's worth of work. Now, maybe if you're good at Google Sheets or good at Excel, you might say, hey, dude, that's not an hour. Well, it was for me. 
I'm a C plus student at Google Sheet, and I was able to take this chat GPT thing and take an hour's worth of work, and it became four minutes. That's so cool. And it was so elegant and so quick. I'm also paying for the upgraded version. I pay 20 bucks a month. If you're not playing with this damn tool, it's an unbelievable miracle of technology, the fact that it could interpret what it is. And even my prompt wasn't great. What I just read to you, I could see an EA screwing that up. And yet ChatGPT was able to distill exactly what it is that I wanted and then hand me this table, this database, and now I get to go and use exactly what I want it for. Did it export it into a Google Sheet for you? No, but it can. I haven't done this yet, but I watched a YouTube video on it to where you can integrate ChatGPT outputs with Google products. I think you have to use the OpenAI API, but that's also available. If you pay for the $20 a month version, you get the sandbox and the API and all that too. I've not jiggied with this at all. So anybody who's actually done this, I can share my screen for you, Ralph. And for anybody who ends up seeing, well, these are going to be on YouTube very shortly. So here's the database and you're watching it. I just regenerated it so you could see it. You're watching it build these columns in real time. Now that I think about it, we can't share this on YouTube because it's a bunch of people's personal information. No, but you I get to guess see it, Ralph. not. Well, yeah. I'm seeing it being done. That's really cool. Here's the input. Here's the output. Yeah. And when I go to copy and paste this, this is an easy copy paste to Google Sheets. So I wouldn't even need to export it directly to Google Sheets. That was my next question, which was if it actually does create it in columns inside ChatGPT so you can export it easily, copy and paste it, which is the next best thing from it just actually creating it inside Google Sheets. That is so cool. I think for non really geeked out chat GPT people, the most utilitarian way that I use it, and I consider myself a non-AI geek. I enjoy it. I think we have three Slack channels in tier 11 about AI, and I go over there every now and then. That's fine. But for me, it's so helpful when I'm trying to write something and I can't articulate it in the right way, or I want to make it smoother or sound better, literally just open it up, boom, throw it in there. One iteration, that's way better than I could have imagined it. That's how I use it. Happenstance, when I have a brain fart and I can't get things going, a couple of clicks, and then all of a sudden it's a completely different sentence. I think that has really helped. I'm carefully crafting an email to a customer or something like that. That's where it's most utilitarian for me. I haven't gone deep down the rabbit hole like you have, but for people who have not played with it as of yet, definitely check it out. If you haven't at this point, I don't know, where have you been? <laughs> I know. Dude, since we're talking about it, can I give you another one? Yeah, let's do it. So I love to read. I drink books. It's my pastime and my hobby. But nothing frustrates me more than reading a book that I don't think was worth the time. So what I've been doing recently is I go to ChatGPT and I say, hey, summarize Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which is my favorite book. And it gives you a really solid summary. And you think, okay, well, that's enough. But it's not. You can keep going. And then you can say, give me 30 key takeaways from the book. 30, not five, 30. For books that are robust, it'll give you 30. I use that as a litmus test because if the 30 key takeaways start to be redundant or repetitive, that's when I know the book isn't maybe as dense as I'd want or I need. And maybe I pass on this book. Then I said, give me 25 exercises to do in order to reinforce my learning from the book. You can use it for research and knowledge building and knowledge graphing. The takeaways and the exercises that it offered were phenomenal. And I'm a huge fan of Seven Habits. So I think I'm a really good judge of that particular piece of literature because I've read it a dozen times. I recommend it to everybody. And then another question I ask is, give me 10 YouTube videos that will act as supplements to my learning. If you really want to do a deep dive on anything, ChatGPT is a phenomenal place to start. In four or five prompts, you get so much meat on the bone. How accurate was it with those 30 takeaways and the resources that they sent to you afterward? 
spot on. The takeaways were 100%. The resources, some of them were outdated. Some of them were actually broken links. Before they upgraded to GPT-4, a lot of the information is old. And then I asked, share 10 books that I would enjoy if I enjoyed The Seven Habits. And I didn't love all of them, but I actually really liked most of them. I don't like Atomic Habits by James Clear. I prefer BJ Fogg, but who cares? The Power of Now is a phenomenal book. It's one of my favorites, one of my top five. So Seven Habits. I would never equate those two books ever in my entire life. But ChatGPT did, and I think it does it based off of other people that also like those books. Interesting. Which I like. I like the fact that it gave me a couple of my favorites. It gave me Getting Things Done by David Allen, which I've talked about before. Mm -hmm. The 5 a.m. Club by Robin Sharma. I've never read it. Flow. The Alchemist, which is a narrative. Fiction. You can see how somebody who would like The Seven Habits would also like The Alchemist. I don't know, man. I think it's a miracle. I think it's a technological marvel. That's pretty cool. Well, today, technological miracle. We're going to be talking about a technological miracle of a case study yet again. We're going to talk case studies here because people love stuff that they can actually use and take away in real world things. And obviously, we both run agencies, so we have a fair amount of case studies that we can talk about. According to the literature, according to the recent folks that have left reviews, which, by the way, we've got a ton of really good reviews recently. Anybody we want to call out? I know we used to do this quite a bit before, but this obviously... We stopped stopped getting reviews, maybe because we stopped asking, but we stopped calling them out. Reviews on wherever you listen to your podcast obviously really do help the show here, help us to reach a wider audience and influence and help more digital marketers and people who are trying to scale and grow their businesses online. So any good ones that come to mind? I know there was one recently that was pretty good. Yeah, I'm looking at Miss Devin Olivia 13. And uh, Miss Devin Olivia says, funny and relatable, five stars. This is the most down-to-earth, actually fun-to-listen-to marketing podcast I've found. I don't have to sift through overproduced ads, peppy speeches, or overdone interviews. These guys tell it like it is, and that is so refreshing. Plus, I can put their advice to good use almost immediately in my own business. And they do lots of recitations of reviews for their own ego gratification. She should add that one in too. Well, no, we really appreciate the reviews. We actually don't really take ourselves that seriously. Some people are like, wow, you guys are so egotistical, especially you. I think my self-esteem is so low. Yeah, I don't know where really, the yeah. egotistical I don't know where. Right? Mine's lower than yours. That's why yeah, we do the show. I spend most of my life in a tub of gasoline lighting matches. I'm Crave in my kitchen approval. right now with the gas on, and I'm just about to light a match. That's how low I am. The reviews help us get out of those deep, dark places. So I really do appreciate you all doing any reviews. And if you want to leave some honest reviews, we even read the bad ones. We used to read the bad ones as well. Those are almost just as funny. But some of them got... A little creepy. A little hurtful. That's all right. Well, thank you for that one. And we'll continue to do that here on the show. So we're going to get to a case study where we scaled ad spend by 50% in three months, but to increase their trials to their product, which is for real estate agents. So this is almost back-to-back shows about real estate agents here. Casa Maslon by 276% and reduced their CPA by 60%, all by doing some really basic things. We're going to tell you exactly what those things are right after this quick break. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear 
you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. All right, we are back. And today's case study is about a company that is an educational content provider for the real estate industry. So digital products, they've got some coaching, but they really want trials and subscriptions for their product, especially subscriptions. So if you have a subscription-based business, this is definitely a case study for you. And there wasn't a lot to this one. I hate to say it, but it was see the ball, hit the ball, custom in a lot of ways. Isn't it funny how sometimes it's just the fundamentals? Get really good at free throws and you're gonna win some games. I love that, dude. I love getting good at free throws. You get good at free throws and you win some games on that. Do you like how I transition from baseball to basketball, a sport that makes far more sense? I actually thought you thought they were the same thing, baseball and basketball, because you're such a sporty guy. That's not an unfair assumption. I lose man points during all sports seasons. People are like, have you seen the Chiefs? And I'm like, I don't think they like to be called that. That's right. That's right. I hit a home run, then I hit a three-pointer. It was great. It was great. (laughs) All right. Well, the first thing you got to do when you're looking at any sort of business, and for us, the first thing we do is we make a diagnosis. So we diagnose what's wrong, figure out what the prescription is, implement that prescription, then iterate on it to scale. So I know this is an issue. This is something that comes up all the time. They didn't have tracking set up for the most important event. Dude. So if that isn't set up, how can you actually run ads? But I think you find that a lot too. I know you guys are bringing on a fair amount of new customers and it seems like that's the number one issue in most cases when Google ads, to correct me if I'm wrong. Ralph, I swear 50% of the time tracking is either broken or just non-existent. So here's my big note for business owners, C-level execs, director of marketing, CMOs, do me a favor, do yourself a favor and personally check your conversion tracking. Do it in Google, do it in Facebook, do it in every ad network that you're currently running. And you don't even need to know what you're looking at. Just poke around and start asking questions. Why is the conversion window 30 days instead of 90? Get an answer. Why are we using last click attribution instead of data-driven attribution? Why am I not using enhanced conversions? Why are we not using CAPI? Go look at your conversion tracking. Start asking the people that do this for a living, be it an agency or an in-house resource questions, and make sure you get answers that make sense. And the faster they answer, the more likely it is they actually know what the hell they're talking about. But if you're like, oh, well, you know, that's the default setting, well, maybe you should dig into that because that is the single 
most likely error. And Ralph loves the term, and I stole this from you, Ralph, the little hinge that swings the big door. This is the little hinge that swings the big door shut. If you don't have this right, you're screwed. It's like every case study that we ever do, it's the first thing that we talk about. We were on a discovery call with a new customer yesterday. It was like, dude, we're not going to run any of your ads for weeks because they had really complex tracking. I said, it might take two, three, four weeks to set your tracking up because they have this offline conversion thing, which we talked about in the Mike Morris case study, which we talked about a few episodes back. We'll leave links in the show notes. First damn thing we did is we fixed the tracking. It's always that because you can't measure, you can't optimize and you can't scale and you can't report either. You don't know what you don't know. These guys, they're bringing leads. A lot of sales funnels are this way and they were only tracking leads, but what they really cared about most in this case study was booked calls. I think it's an area of expertise that we love because we see this problem so much. The booked call after the lead might take weeks after. And if it's delayed attribution, you should be using a longer attribution window, especially for Google. Now we can actually track 90 days on offline conversions on Facebook, which is pretty badass. The point is, if you're a CMO, if you're director of marketing, VP of marketing, ask if the most important event, and in this case, booked calls, which lead to a sales, what are we tracking and how are we tracking and compare that to your leads, compare that to your phone calls, compare that to all that stuff. And that should be in your report that you see every single week from your team, whether it's an outside agency or an internal team, make sure that stuff is dialed in. Before we even took the time to start running ads, we literally took two weeks to set up the tracking because they couldn't do it. We have an amazing tracking team, which is great. And I know you can get these types of people off Fiverr, you can get them off Upwork, get somebody that is really good at it, or maybe kiss a few frogs before you find the princess or the prince, depending on who you are. Dude, we got to plug Mercer. Go to Measurement Marketing. He's been on the show a couple of times. We're going to have him back to talk about GA4. He's got certified measurement marketer folks. I've used two of them. I've used Ryan and Ray, and they've been amazing. Yeah, really, really good. He doesn't plug us, apparently. We, no. just, we just put him on the show. It's all. You did cancel on him eight times, though. I think he's still pissed. I think that's yeah, the reason why. Yeah, I think why. he's still really mad. That's a true story, by the way. Ralph rescheduled eight times. Mercer messaged me privately. He's like, bro, am I being punked? Does Ralph not like me? And I was like, that could very well be likely. I don't know what's happening here. Oh, my God. I took him out to dinner, though, when I went to Austin, though. I paid for his dinner. Yeah, just paid for something. Also, they were having some issues from this thing called iOS 14. Have you heard about that? That was like a big no, deal. what is no, that? it's something about I gotta tracking. I got to ask ChatGPT. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you're a CMO, ask your team about iOS 14, how they're recovering from it. Anyway, with these guys, that was certainly an issue. They didn't have conversions API integrated as of yet. Another thing you should ask your team about, do I have Cappy integration on our Facebook ads? If they're like, uh, 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 well, then you just found that you're probably missing a lot of optimization, a lot of conversion tracking. And at the end of the day, they wanted to increase trial subscriptions to their product as well as booked calls. So there's a couple of different factors that they had here. It was a multifaceted business, couple of different sales funnels, which is always good. I love when we talk to customers that have multiple ways to enter into a customer acquisition path. I really do like that. There's the purchase option, there's the subscribe, there's the free trial, all different ways because different people respond to different ways in which to engage with brands. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, Kasim. Do you like that when that happens? No, I love that. You know what's something that I've seen that's really interesting is if you have one conversion action, one conversion possibility, one funnel, 
then let's say you'll experience whatever you experience, 100 conversions, but given your current spend in a hypothetical scenario. If you add a second possibility, what we see very often is a conversion lift in the first action. So if you're only getting 100 with one, you might get 110 with two, and then the second one gives you another five or 10 or 15 or 20. I have a hard time explaining this, but I've thought a little bit about it. I think people like knowing that you have this multivariant and conversion environment and it makes them more comfortable with you and it gives them the opportunity to compare the two. And people love to compare things. Split testing has shown that. When comparing it, they prefer the stronger conversion action to the weaker conversion action. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's additive. We talked to somebody this week who's going to start working with us and they sell supplements. They're a supplement company and I've rarely seen this. I've seen quiz funnels in the supplement industry. I've seen a lot. I've seen lead magnets to a certain degree about a certain condition. These guys sell a book about this really complex medical condition, which, oh, by the way, can be solved with their supplement. But they figured out that between 10 to 20% of people who buy the book, buy their supplement, and they stay on longer. They have a longer, more robust lifetime value, but they have different modalities in which to bring in the same customer. Yes, you can get the 136, like every supplement company does as an option, but this a book and then that, and now they're going to be offering a course on it. Really, really smart. If you just have one offer for one product, there's a shelf life for that right. in a lot of cases, especially if you're super niche. They're in this niche, this particular health condition, that's the kind of stuff that we really do love. And that way you can really start scaling. And as you said, it's additive in many cases, which is awesome. One of the systems that we use to organize everything that we do inside Tier 11, and I would suggest that you do this with your business as well, is look at different ways in which to acquire customers. And we use this system called customer acquisition amplification, which is blending of different traffic sources, but also using what we refer to as the creative lab to create messaging that is then used in the ads on those traffic sources. And then it's brought fully through inside something called conversion architecture, which is our after the click. So it's this whole super system. We didn't use the whole thing on this, but one of the first things that we immediately did is we started utilizing account simplification when it came to the meta platform specifically. And what the issue was, they had hundreds of Facebook ad campaigns, I and mean, I'm saying the meta platforms, but Facebook ad campaigns, which is obviously is Instagram, which is Messenger, which is the audience network, all of that. 487 they actually had running at one time. That is way too many. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't even know how to audit that. We see this a lot. Still to this day, we still preach the whole idea of account simplification, but also separating out levels of traffic on Facebook, especially. You don't have to do it quite as much now on Google Performance Max, which is great, but you still have to do it on Facebook. It's not quite as necessary as it needed to be two, three years ago. But the point is, is if you have 487 campaigns all doing $10 a day or whatever it was today in this particular case for these guys, the algorithm is never going to know what to do. We simply took all of those campaigns and simplified them down from 487 to 5,700 ad sets. Custom. Holy crap. Brought it down to 13 campaigns. And that's actually kind of high. But like I said, because they had the campaigns that were going to their blog, they had campaigns that were going direct to a sale, they had campaigns that were going to a lead magnet for an opt-in, they had free trial, they had a bunch of different ways in which to bring in customers. So we were able to simplify things down to that. 
So I know on the Google side, this case study doesn't include Google. We often see the same sort of thing when we look at a lot of our Google ad accounts. Same thing you guys see. It's funny. I can tell when I'm looking at a Google campaign that's built by a person who learned Facebook first, it's always over-segmented. You usually spot two different ways. Facebook nomenclature is really, I think, very specific. And so I can spot via nomenclature, but I can spot via campaign segmentation. Yeah, totally. The next thing we did is once we organized the campaign, so now we have the campaigns under control. It's usually what we'll do. And if you're an agency or you're an internal team or you're even a CMO listening to this, your team should do that first. (laughs) Try to simplify, stabilize things. Don't scale yet. Then go back to the drawing board and say, if we are going to try to scale this and make our ads more effective, what's the first thing that you need to do? The first thing you need to do is the boring thing, which is what we call creative lab deep dive research. We did two weeks of study in this particular case, and we realized that the these guys had two distinct avatars and each one was in a different stage of involvement with the brand and with their careers specifically. We focused in on two specific avatars and we added a third to it. So what we did is some interviews with the founder. We did a deep dive on some of the surveys that they had done to their list. We listened to some of their salespeople. Specifically, we interviewed them. We talked to their customer service team. We did a bunch of different things as well as did some competitive research. Also went back through a lot of their comments on their Facebook ads that they had run in the past, especially the ones that were non-promotional. And we realized that they they had two and then a third avatar. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can actually see it here, but we found there's three very distinct ways in which we can approach the same audience In essence, once again, these are all real estate agents, but each one of them had a very different motive or motivation in order to engage with the product. The first one was the veteran, a guy who feels always one step behind. He's intimidated by new technology, stressed out about closing enough real estate deals to survive. Then there's the rookie, very different. They need to prove themselves. They have yet to establish themselves in the real estate market. They're kind of insecure of what it takes to become an agent of any means of success. And they're definitely overwhelmed a lot of the tools and the platforms. We started to get messaging around each one of these, which then would enable us to be able to write ad copy and create creatives that spoke to these particular needs. The last one ended up being one that really did pretty well for us is the influencer. They've got a lot of marketing insights that they've pulled together through the years of being a real estate agent. They're the ones who are oftentimes running the real estate office. They have the pressure of bringing in clients, but also they have to run the business. They might be the realtor, slightly smaller market, more business owner, real estate type person. They've got this never-ending to-do list because they're also taking care of all their brokers at the same time. So three really distinct avatars. Does that make sense so far? That does make sense. I know quite a bit about the real estate space and I think y'all freaking nailed it, dude. It's so funny how one role can have such distinct psychologies. I think if you lump all real estate agents into thinking the same way or wanting the same thing, you can get by to a certain degree, but you will reach a point, especially on Facebook ads, where you will not be able to scale. You have to get deeper into psychology, into what they're really thinking how they're feeling, what their pain points are, what their daily life is like. I hate when I have to talk about this. This is the basics of advertising a lot of times. And then you let the algorithm go out and find these people and they might be in the same lookalike audience that you've tried dozens of different ads for and you're like, must be the audience. I'm gonna change that audience and then try a different lookalike audience or some other interest-based audience. Chances are it's probably not your audience. It's your message. This is what people really forget now four, five, six years ago on Facebook, it was easy. You just chose the best audience, put out a bland message, everybody was successful. Times have changed. So you actually do have to do this deep dive research and spend the time. In our case, we took two weeks. Two weeks is a long time. 
Yeah, especially in the agency world. Yeah, that's forever. Because people pay you monthly. You're halfway through the, what have you done for me lately epoch. Yeah, we've actually started to bill a little bit differently based upon that. But anyway, this stuff was really the foundation that we needed to light the rocket. What ended up happening is a lot of these ads, through the simplification of the account, went back to a lot of the same audiences and their ads had these bland headline versus body copy disconnect. They weren't really saying the same thing in the ad copy as they were with the headlines. And then the images were stock images of people with their hands in the air, the stuff that you see on my stock photo, really cheesy display ads. We knew that the creative and the copy was not consistent with the avatar messaging. So we really had to start changing that. We realized we had to create new ads. And in essence, some of the ads that you saw before, which I just explained, now all of a sudden, we started doing video as well as copy that spoke to those specific avatars. We actually did three separate types of videos speaking to the known wants and needs and desires of each one of those avatars. And really, really simple iPhone held, not a whole lot of B-roll, a simple reiteration of the three most important things that you need to know in order to be a successful real estate agent, especially if you're a realtor and you're running the office and you've got all kinds of people coming to you every single day. You've got an endless to-do list. You've got all these brokers worrying about their leads. That's obviously avatar three, right? You start talking to people the way that they're actually thinking and feeling. And all of a sudden, your ads really start to resonate. And it doesn't necessarily mean they need to be the prettiest ads in the world. In a lot of cases, it was UGC content. And you can see if you're watching this on YouTube, some of these videos are average looking dudes. We had a couple of other ones, which are some of the... Yeah, he's, some, he's a handsome enough man, handsome Ralph. Enough, yeah, yeah, handsome enough man. Yeah, Average is a pejorative. I like, I like the glasses. He's actually one of the owners. But no, these were really genuine and that's the key, is talking to your avatar in a way in which they say to themselves, that's me. That's not some generic other person. That was really the key to this, is that we did do some images over, you can see on the left-hand side, to your point, the Stephen Covey thing, is seven habits of highly successful real estate agents. They have that as one of their lead magnets, which is a great lead magnet. By the way, so not ripping off other people's titles, by the way, is absolute genius for conversion. Yeah, for sure. I'm a real estate agent. I've read the Stephen Covey book a dozen times. I'd stop, click, see what it's all about. The best part of it was as soon as they started, it took a couple of months for us to figure this out. The tracking was the most important thing the first two weeks. We tested a lot of different things, trying to reconfigure and retailer some of the ways in which we were managing the campaigns. But as soon as we dialed in the messaging, all of a sudden, they started to scale their ad spend by upwards of 50%. They reduced their cost per acquisition by 60%. You can actually see here their spend is now well over $200,000 a month. And their cost per acquisition is down from about $300 for a customer down to about $150. So we've cut their cost per acquisition for a customer by half. And most of it had to do with that deep dive research side of the equation. And a little bit of tidying up of the ad account cost them. Wasn't a whole lot to this one. I'm not going to minimize the importance of the team here. The team did great. But when you reduce the CPA by a significant portion and are able to really scale things up, all of a sudden, all the same audiences, they really thought they were tapped out on Facebook. That was their big thing. They're like, ah, Facebook doesn't work for us anymore. We used to get $2 leads. Now our leads are $12 and cost per acquisition. We're getting five, $600 for a customer. 
Now it's down to 150, all because of the messaging change and credit our creative team and our ad buying team at tier 11 with the success of this case study here. So a simple one, like I said, but always good to go back to basics. Thoughts, concerns? Well, I think if you're listening to this, the question is, is it time for you to go back to basics? So many of us, especially the more advanced marketers, we just get in our own way. I want to play with the tools. I'm going to over-engineer things and I'm going to try to justify my own existence. Maybe let's stop that and see what happens if you go simplify. Yeah. Going back to the basics has always worked for us. One of the other things I think a lot of people forget, and this is another nugget at the end of our show here, you might have an ad to the same offer that crushed two, three years ago and then all of a sudden dried up. Go back and find that ad. Start it again today and see whether or not you can rekindle the magic. You might not be able to get the cost per acquisition, the cost per lead that you got two, three years ago. The point is, especially if you're targeting the same audiences, that ad and that messaging, that creative copy, whatever it is that you were using, ran its course at that point in time. Reinvigorate it, pull out the post ID, plunk it into a campaign now and see if you can get some of the same types of results. Or at the very least, you'll get good signals to indicate what success looks like. There you go. You know who talks about this a lot is Jason Fladlin. Jason kind of snubs his nose at data. He's like, yeah, I know your split test said A1 over B, but I think it's just because you changed something after a long time. And I wonder if we ran for nine months and then change it back to B, whether or not B would win over A. Mm. And in so many ways, I think he's right. I think that we play the correlation as causation game without even realizing that we're doing it. Yeah, that's super smart. You got to remember that, especially on Facebook, probably less so if you're using open targeting, but in a real estate agent niche, there are only so many real estate agents in the US. And these guys are all US based. I believe maybe they do some stuff in Canada. If you spend enough money, you're going to hit every one of them that's on the meta platforms. They're going to see your stuff and eventually go blind to it. You have to change it up. Yeah, we call that banner blindness. And I don't know if in Facebook, if you say the same thing, but in Google with display, it's banner blindness. You stop seeing clicks and then you change one thing about the ad and bam, they go back up. Yeah. And I think with these guys, and one of the things I think that's led to their longevity and their continuing scale right now is we'll use the same video and recycle it and change out the first three to six seconds or mm. a little section in between and upload it. It looks now like a fresh video to the meta platforms and it goes out and finds a whole new audience that maybe you weren't finding with the original video. Little stuff like that. You don't have to make wholesale changes, but if a creative starts to die off, it did work at one point, either recycle it or slightly redo it in some way, shape, or form. Maybe turn it into a short form video. If it's a long form video, that kind of thing. That's how you scale and grow. We'll leave links in the show notes here for any of the resources that we mentioned. And of course, if you so choose to boost Kasim and my lagging self-esteem, if <laughs> very you would fragile like, egos. very fragile <laughs> if you'd like to subscribe, obviously, to the podcast and leave a rating wherever you're listening, wherever that might be, or in pretty much every podcast platform, let us know what we can do better. Perpetualtraffic.com forward slash better. Of course, you can follow me over on LinkedIn or Kasim at Kasim Aslam on Twitter. Go back and listen to those previous episodes. All resources and show notes are over at perpetualtraffic.com. This one will be on YouTube at some point. I don't know when, but it will be. The tubes. The tubes. So on behalf of my awesome co-host, Kasim Aslam. Peace. Not Kasim, but Kasim. Until next show.